Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Well, good morning, Harvest Community Church. It is amazing to be here. And I felt like this week God was just telling me, soak in this moment. And I want to just first of all say to all the dads in the room, happy Father's Day. Um, I woke up this morning and saw Joshua and Jenna, and I was reminded again of these two treasures that God has blessed me with. And uh, I am doubly blessed because I have an amazing father who's back in the corner. He's here today. And He hates the spotlight just like me, but uh, he has modeled integrity. He has modeled walking with God. And uh, uh, Dad, I love you, and thank you for everything. I want to begin this message by just sharing my story with you. And then we'll camp out at a passage of Scripture in the Gospel of John. Uh, Over the last few years, I've learned the significance and importance of story. And I don't like to talk about myself, honestly, uh, but I've learned that sharing my story testifies to God's faithfulness and his goodness and his redemptive activity in my own life. And I've kind of structured my story in five different chapters. So chapter one is called Great Beginnings. I grew up in a wonderful family. Uh, My parents are both from Wisconsin. They got married and moved down to Elmhurst, where I grew up. And we we lived in the same home for 30-plus years, so a very stable, loving home environment. And we attended a church about three blocks away from our house, a small United Methodist church, and uh, we were very involved in church. Uh, I was in Sunday school, sang in the children's choir, which was a grand mistake. I can't sing worth a lick. And they actually gave me solos, so I'm, I'm surprised the church is still there, honestly. Uh, But about six or seven years old, I remember saying the prayer to ask Jesus into my life. And uh, I remember saying it two weeks later and then a month later and just kept repeating this prayer. I wanted God in my life, but I didn't really understand the gospel fully. It was about 11 years old. uh, Our parents took us to play. I had another brother and a sister, both younger. They're still alive. I I have a a brother and a sister. (laughs) So we went to this play, and the whole uh, play was about the biblical story. At the end, they did a gospel presentation. And I had heard the message of the cross many times. But that night, God was tugging on my heart. And I stood up and went forward and gave my life to Jesus. And just watching my parents model walking with God, I'd wake up in the morning And I come downstairs, and in the den, my mom was praying and reading her Bible every morning. In the kitchen, my dad had his Bible, his devotional, and his journal. And so I saw what it looked like to connect with God on a daily basis, and I began to do that myself. The other important thing about me uh, in the early years is I loved sports. I played basketball and baseball, and eventually picked up tennis, and... uh, 
I need to be very honest with all of you, and I'm not ashamed of this at all. I am a diehard Green Bay Packer fan. We can be friends still, I promise. And there's the slide to prove it. So uh, chapter 2, in the wilderness. Now, this is my high school years. And um, high school was a very painful and lonely time for me. I'd rather skip this part of my story. Um, But for whatever reason, I withdrew from people. I isolated. I kept to myself. And I would go to high school, and I had a few friends, but I would minimize any contact with people for whatever reason. And so it was a dark and lonely time. And in high school, you had to take speech class. And you're supposed to take it sophomore year, I put it off to the last semester of senior year. I was horrified about getting up in front of people. And so the fact that I'm here right now is by the grace and power of God. So chapter 3, following Jesus in community. I went away to school in Champaign at U of I. How many fighting Illini do we have here? I've heard there's a lot. Yeah. I got connected into this amazing campus ministry called Illini Life Christian Fellowship. And for the first time, I experienced genuine Christian community. And God got a hold of my life during college. And I, I was a good boy up until that time. Uh, but I began to discover that God wanted a relationship with me, that he wanted intimacy. And uh, my faith took off. My sophomore year, this shy, timid, reserved guy was asked to lead a small group, which was very terrifying for me. But I felt like God was calling me to step out in faith. And through leading that small group, my heart to shepherd people, my heart to build the church and connect people into community grew and developed. And my, uh, after my junior year, I went away for a Christian leadership training program for the summer. And uh, during that summer, we would do contact evangelism on the street of, uh, on the strip of Myrtle Beach. Uh, And again, my my heart for lost people, my heart to reach people for Christ just continued to develop. And at the end of the summer, we were working on these life vision statements. And uh, there was a question that said, if you can do anything in the world and be successful at it, what would you do? And I knew within a second I would be a pastor and potentially go overseas and do missions. So as you can see, there was a big change from high school to college, and God was taking over my life. Chapter 4. I was a computer science major at U of I, and I got a job up in Naperville as a software engineer, And um, which at that point I... Didn't really want to do that, but uh, God hadn't provided the next step into ministry. But I went back to my parents' church, and uh, there was a, a handful of college students that didn't have any community. Uh, no one was shepherding and leading them. So we started a college ministry. And again, through that, my heart for the church continued to grow. And I wanted to give my life to ministry and uh, building for God's kingdom. And um, about a year later... Uh, I went away on a a mission trip to Africa. 
And at that point, I was praying, God, I want to go in, into ministry. Uh, just show me where you want me. And it was a fabulous trip, and God did amazing things. But I, I felt his tug that he wanted me in the U.S. And so I was just waiting on God's next step. And about a month later, September 1st, 2001, is a day I will never forget. Um, God spoke very clearly to me and gave me clear next steps and said, I want you to go to Trinity next fall. And I knew at that moment it was to get trained up to be a pastor. And during this time, I'm at Willow Creek and um, was in a small group there. And I had known this woman, Yvonne Lillian Tam, uh, for about a year. She's back there. Hi, honey. Um, she doesn't like the spotlight either. Um, and so Yvonne and I, we knew each other. We were acquaintances, but there was nothing there. And I got back from Africa, and we started to have conversations about missions. And I began to see in this woman uh, a deep love for Jesus and a great heart for other people. So we started dating, and the following summer, I left my job in the marketplace, uh, went back with Yvonne to meet her family in Singapore and Australia. And at the end of the summer, we got engaged, and I began my journey at Trinity. And so following, the following summer, a year later, uh, we got married, and we moved to Hoffman Estates. And Yvonne was a member of Willow Creek, and so we started to make uh, Willow our home church together. And we got really involved in their 20-somethings ministry. I think I'm at chapter 4. We, okay, we're there. Okay. And, um, and at that time, I mean, we loved Willow Creek, um, but I saw this huge megachurch, and I felt called to be a pastor. And I'm like, I don't think they do pastoring here at Willow. Um, but eventually I had a conversation with one of my friends, and uh, he was on staff, and he told me about this area pastor position. And um, a few days later, uh, I went to service, and in the program there was an announcement that they were looking for a part-time area pastor. And, and basically the vision that Willow was going after was, we're this big church, but we want to make it feel smaller, and we want to be the church in the community. So they were assigning area pastors to oversee high school areas. And I went through the process uh, with Willow and eventually came on staff uh, my last year of seminary. And, um, and really the last five years I've been on staff at Willow, it's been an amazing journey. I really believed in the vision we were going after. And uh, my role was to oversee neighborhood group leaders and small group leaders, uh, to do pastoral care, and to lead outreach initiatives in the community. And, um, and just worked with a lot of wonderful staff members and lay leaders, and I really discovered who God has made me to be uh, as a pastor and a, as a leader, and I grew up a lot the last five years. Um, and uh, I graduated from Trinity, and uh, two weeks later, Joshua was born, and uh, that was a dream come true for me. Uh, I always dreamed of being a father, and uh, I love my kids uh, with all my heart. And things started to change at Willow after a few years, um, and they were going a different direction, and I just uh, was feeling very unsettled and just wrestling with God. 
uh, actually for the last two years. And um, just kind of waiting on his next step for us and our family. And in some ways, it's been a very difficult two years. Uh, when you're in a place where uh, you know is not right, and you're just waiting on God. Uh, and in this season, God has just really stripped me away of finding my identity in ministry and what I do. And just finding my sense of belovedness uh, in him, that I'm a child of God. Uh, that his love is for me. And um, so it was back in January that Dave, kind of Pastor Dave, sorry. Dave's okay, okay. Uh, Dave first approached me, and he told me about Matt leaving. And um, that night I went home, and I read in Isaiah 43, um, the very verses that Pastor Bill preached on last Sunday. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Uh, So through this process the last few months, I have just been joyful and anticipating what God wants to do in our family and Harvest Community Church. And so I am just delighted. Um, As I look back on my journey, uh, I'm reminded that we have a big God who overcomes our weaknesses, our inadequacies, and calls us to lay down our lives. And and this morning, John chapter 12 is kind of the text we're going to look at now. And um, if you have a Bible, turn with me to John 12. It's verses 20 through 28. And in this text, we're going to see that following Jesus is not comfortable. It's not easy. It requires sacrifice, and it demands all of us. Let me just pray briefly before I read. God, we are hungry for your word, whether we know it or not. And so, God, we just pray that you would open up our hearts now, make our ears ready to hear. May we see what you want to teach us this morning from your word. And God, I just lay myself before you as your vessel and pray, God, that you would speak, that we would hear from you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. John 12, verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Those who love their life will lose it, while those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, 
And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The context is always important. And um, the events leading up to John 12 are very significant. There's this crescendo of activity taking place. And Jesus' fame and following is growing rapidly. In John 11, Lazarus is raised from the dead. And this is a very public miracle. And so many more put their faith in Christ and begin to follow him. On the other hand, the Pharisees are are growing restless with Jesus' increased popularity. So the plot to kill Jesus begins to take shape. In in John 12 at the beginning, uh, Jesus is anointed by Mary. And she breaks open this expensive jar of perfume and uh, wipes Jesus' feet with it. It was a symbol of preparation for what was about to take place. And then the next day, Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey. And uh, the people are, are going nuts. I kind of imagine the scene is if the Cubs won the World Series, what the city of Chicago would actually do. Uh, they had been waiting for the coming king of Israel. And they cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And again, the the Pharisees are are getting furious. They say in verse 19, See how this is getting us nowhere? Look how the whole world has gone after him. And in our text this morning, it's the Greeks who approach Philip for an interview with Jesus. And, And... the Greeks' approach for Jesus was like a trigger. It was a signal that the appointed time for his mission to be accomplished was very soon. Uh, He says in, in verse 23, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And I think it's easy for us because we know the rest of the story. But imagine being one of Jesus' disciples and hearing that phrase, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. They had walked with him for three years, and he had repeatedly said, my time has not come. My hour is not yet here. And the other thing to note is that the disciples were often very clueless as to the true intent of, of Jesus' mission. For example, in Mark 8, Jesus is explaining to them that he must suffer and die. And uh, Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him for saying such drastic things. So they, were, they, were, they believed that he was the Messiah. Uh, they were banking on him as the Messiah. But they were expecting him to rise up as a political ruler and to help them overtake the Roman government. And they had just witnessed him 
ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, declared as the king of Israel. And Jesus is about to turn everything upside down for the disciples. In one moment, he's heralded king, but he's soon to be suffering servant. He has so much political potential for them, but he will soon be a crucified criminal. And I was trying to think of a modern-day comparison. It's always hard when you're dealing with Jesus to draw a modern-day comparison, so this is not perfect. Uh, But imagine uh, LeBron James, the great NBA star. He's at the pinnacle of his career right now, and he is a free agent. He can go wherever he wants. And imagine him gathering his buddies uh, for a night on the town, and they know he's about to tell them the big news. And um, they're thinking he's going to L.A. or to New York or Miami or even Chicago to play with Derrick Rose. And then LeBron drops the bomb. And he tells them, you know what, guys? I've had enough with the NBA. And I've heard great things about the CBA, the Continental Basketball Association, And so I'm walking away, and I'm going to go play for the Rockford, whatever they're called, I don't know. (laughs) So, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, and they'd be like, well, Bron, what are you doing? Or like Martha Stewart gathering some of her friends together, and or maybe ex-prison mates, (laughs) um, and telling them, you know, I'm going to leave behind my whole enterprise, and I'm going to go sell Pampered Chef. No offense to Pampered Chef at all, but that would be a step down. Or Gordon Ramsay, the great chef, uh, telling his drinking buddies, I've always wanted to own a McDonald's. It'd be ridiculous. It would be ridiculous. But, I mean, for the disciples, that's what they were dealing with. Jesus was turning everything upside down for them. And I think for us today... We shouldn't be surprised when we encounter Christ and he gets a hold of our lives that he's going to shake things up. He's going to turn things upside down in our own lives. And In this passage, Jesus illustrates this great reversal through something very simple, that of a seed. Verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. And Jesus is saying a seed in itself is useless. The whole purpose of a seed is to be plunged into the earth to die and to produce more seeds. He's telling them the hour of glory is different than you expect It's not through political power, but sacrifice, blood, and death. He's telling them that his messianic mission is not of the kingdom of this world, but that he will lay down his life as a sacrificial offering for the sins of the world. And there's no doubt about it that Jesus' sacrifice is the chief demonstration of love in human history, sacrificial love. 
In John 14, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And John would later write, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And I pray for myself and for each one of us that we would never get comfortable or complacent at the cost and price of Jesus' sacrifice. He laid it all down for you and me. That we could be reconciled to God. That we can have new life and freedom and eternity with him. Jesus walked in the way of the cross, the way of sacrificial love. What we're going to see next is he calls us to that same kind of life. Verse 25. Those who love their life will lose it, while those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Joshua and I uh, went to go see Toy Story 3 yesterday. Some good father-son bonding time. We were driving over there, uh, and he said to me, I want to sit by myself. I don't want to sit by you (laughs) and watch the movie. I'm like, okay. And I asked him, Joshua, why don't you want to sit by me? And I thought he just ignored me. About 15 seconds later, he said to me, Dad, I love me. Dad, I love me. And we live in a great country. Uh, We have so many freedoms and privileges and rights. But we also live in a culture where uh, it's okay for a four-year-old to say that. Uh, But you see grown-ups who keep living like what Joshua said, I love me. And the values of convenience and safety are exalted in the American way of life. And regarding sacrifice, it's more natural and more normal to preserve yourself rather than lay it down. And I think, unfortunately, this life of ease and safety can often infect the church and our view of what it means to be a disciple. We can often be fooled into thinking that we can follow Jesus in safety and ease. In other parts of the world, they don't have that luxury. There's a story of uh, two Americans from a mission organization going to India to visit what their ministry is doing. And they're talking with some women from the village. And these women had never met a North American person yet. So they're very curious, and they're asking lots of questions. And they ask the Americans, do do you ever go hungry because you are a Christian? And they just looked at each other and said, no, we never go hungry. They said, have you ever had your house taken away because you are a Christian. They again shook their head, no. Have you ever lost your job because you are a Christian? Has anyone ever thrown you into a fire because you are a Christian? 
the Americans finally said, no, these things do not happen in America. And the women were dumbfounded, and they just looked at each other, and they asked one final question. They said, but if it doesn't cost you anything, how do you in America know what it means to be a Christian? And I think these women from India understood better than we do what Jesus is going to say next in verse 25. Those who love their life will lose it, while those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And Jesus is saying the person that clings to their self and their own self-preservation, the things of this world, they will eventually fade away. But the person who hates their life, not in a suicidal type of way, but a person who's willing to lay it all down on my behalf and for the sake of others, will keep it for eternal life. Following Jesus is going to be costly. It's going to require sacrifice. It won't be easy. We were at Wheaton College last weekend, and I was in the basement. I saw the famous quote by Jim Elliott that I think sums up uh, this verse very well. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And the reality is, as God gets a hold of our life, he's going to ask us to say goodbye to certain things. He's going to ask us to say goodbye to our self-preservation, our, our focus on building our own kingdom. He's going to call us to be like seeds planted into the ground and to die, but to have the joy of seeing new seeds come about. So what do we need to say goodbye to? We'll need to say goodbye to the American dream, but gain giving our life for the sake of the kingdom. We'll need to say goodbye to overspending, overeating, over-wasting, and embrace the opportunity to give generously, to bless the poor, and take care of God's creation. We'll need to say goodbye to always needing to be comfortable and always needing to be entertained and instead take steps out of our comfort zone to serve and love others and be a witness for Christ. We'll need to say goodbye to being workaholics and trying to climb the corporate ladder for our own glory and choose to sacrificially give our life for our families and for the church. Verse 26, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant must be. My father will honor the one who serves me. It gets a little bit more clear. Where Jesus is at, we need to be. We need to follow in his footsteps and live out our lives sacrificially for God and for others. In the next verses, we're going to see part of the inner t- turmoil of Jesus. 
as he prepares himself for what lies ahead. Verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it's for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus is feeling the weight of the cross. The weight of what will happen as he obeys his father. But I I love this part in his wrestling. He says, Father, save me from this hour. And his very next words are, no. It's for this very reason I came to this hour. Jesus knew what his life was all about. He knew this was his mission, to lay it down for us. And he also knew ultimately who he was doing it for. As he said, Father, glorify your name. Our sacrificial love for God and others should flow out of a passion for God's glory and a desire to be on board with his mission. Yet living our life as a sacrifice is not going to happen haphazardly. I totally believe we need to be spirit-led, but it's going to require intentionality. It's going to require steadfastness, preparation, strength, endurance, and focus. I recently came across the story of Esther on Kim. She was a follower of Jesus in Korea during World War II in the Japanese occupation. And Esther knew that she was eventually going to go to prison because she was not going to bend her knee at a pagan idol. So instead of wasting away, she prepared herself for prison. She memorized hundreds of chapters of the Bible and various hymns because she knew she wouldn't have a Bible or a hymnal in prison. And she also knew that the food was not going to be too hot in prison. So she intentionally ate spoiled, rotten, and decayed food. And God used her in countless ways. And there's one story of a Chinese woman who was arrested for killing her husband. And this Chinese woman was hysterical in prison. And the guards shackled her wrists behind her. And Esther felt the tug of the spirit to reach out and minister to this woman. So Esther would give up her food for days on end so the Chinese woman had enough to eat. In the middle of the night, Esther would lay across the Chinese woman's feet because it was very cold. And uh, she loved this woman by doing that even though she was filled in her own waist. And eventually God opened up the heart of this Chinese woman. And Esther got to lead her to Christ uh, before she was executed. Esther lived out a life of preparation, a life of sacrifice, and God used her in tremendous ways. So I know this is a bit heavy this morning, uh, but I truly believe there's no greater way to live than to lay it down fully for Jesus, to live the way of the cross, sacrificial love for God and others. I just want to bring this home to two specific areas. 
uh, first of all, to all the, the men in the room. And uh, this past Tuesday, Yvonne and I celebrated our seventh wedding anniversary. And uh, we watched our wedding video uh, from seven years ago, which is kind of crazy. Uh, but do you guys who are married remember that moment as you stood before your family and friends and your bride walked down the aisle? Do you remember that moment when you held her hand and promised to love and cherish her for the rest of your days? Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'm always immensely humbled by these words. That as Jesus laid it down for me, I'm called to lay it down for Yvonne. The way of the cross in marriage, the way of sacrificial love. What a great call and privilege we as men have who are married to lay it down for our wives. I just want to encourage the single men in the room. Uh, One day, that's going to be you. And so to even now be preparing yourself in community through your relationships with your other sisters in Christ to live sacrificially and to lay it down. So men, how's it going? I know it's hard. There's moments where it's very challenging and you want to say the words that Jesus said, Father, save me from this hour. (laughs) But we need to be like Jesus and move to the next line. No, it's for this very reason that I came. It's for this very reason that I'm called to be a husband, to lay it down in this moment for my wife. So what will you do this week to sacrifice Uh, to pay the price to love and cherish your wife. And the second thing is, I believe we need to lay it down for the sake of lost people. Pastor Bill gave us some incredible teaching last week on evangelism, that it's God's enterprise. It's not a human program. That we're to join with God in what he's doing already. And we live in a fast-paced, busy world. I think one of the biggest challenges for me is to stop and notice what God is doing. And so I think one of the key learnings for us is learning to press the pause button. When you walk into your workplace in the morning, or your classroom, or your neighborhood, to press the pause button and say, God, Show me where you're moving because I want to be a vessel for you. I want to give my life to reach people for you. And I think another thing is with being busy, fast-paced people, we need to make space to actually listen to people and discover their stories. Uh, as we moved into the new ministry center, I went around and met a few of our neighbors I was trying to secure us wireless internet because we've been out of internet for the last few weeks, and that was not successful. But I met some people, which was good. And I met this woman, Diane. Whenever you're meeting someone new, you you don't know how they're going to receive you. Um, Is this going to be a 30-second conversation? 
uh, or, or what. And uh, Diane was a little hesitant with me at first, but then she began to open up her story. Uh, she talked about her two boys and uh, what they're doing for jobs and how one's getting married. She talked about how she's singing in her church's choir and how she's involved with kids and helping them learn to bowl. And I walked away from that conversation, and I always feel when someone opens up their story that it's, it's sacred territory, that God is doing something. And, and I walked away with a sense of just gratitude, uh, but just reminded how many people in our culture uh, just want to be heard. They just want to be noticed. They want someone to stop and listen to them. I think we can be those people if we're willing to stop and discover their stories. And it's always a challenge when it comes to evangelism. I've been praying for Diane and asking God, what's the next step here? But that we don't make people projects. Um, I mean, she's on my prayer list, but I don't want to see her as a project. I want to delight in conversations and friendships with her, friendship with her. So what price will you pay, maybe even this week, maybe even tomorrow, to stop and notice people, to listen to their stories, and to help reach people who are far from God? Jesus was the supreme example of sacrificial love. He lived in the way of the cross. And it calls us to that same way of life. And just like the disciples, Jesus turned everything upside down for them. When we encounter him, he's going to turn things upside down in our lives. And we need to be willing to be ready to say, God, take my life. Let me be like a seed that's planted into the ground and dies and bears fruit for your kingdom. It's going to be costly. It's going to be painful at times. It's going to demand sacrifice. But it's going to be worth it. It's going to be joyful. And I know many of you are already laying it down for Jesus. And on behalf of Yvonne and myself and our family, we are just so excited to join the Harvest family and to follow Jesus with all of you and to lay down our lives sacrificially for God and other people. Let's pray. God, in this moment, I just pray, God, that we've heard from you. We've heard from your word. And that we be encouraged for those of us who are already laying it down sacrificially, that your word would bring greater resolve and conviction to continue in the path you've called us to. But maybe for some of us, we've grown grown complacent. Uh, we've given in to the values of convenience and safety. And God, we ask even now that you would turn things upside down for us. 
that we would follow you in the way that you deserve to be followed. Because God, you laid it all down for us. So God, it's our church's cry that we would be this type of people, a people that lives in the way of the cross, the way of sacrificial love for you and other peoples. God, build your church. We submit to your lordship and your leadership. And pray this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.